So a really simple thought came to me several weeks ago, came at breakfast. I get up very early, have my first light breakfast, and I'm usually reading something there, and it happened to be the journal from the seminary where I got my uh, doctorate here in Austin, Austin Seminary, and it was the journal of the, of the faculty there called Insights. And there's an article there I'm reading, and it's such a simple thing. You know this, I know this, but I forget it from time to time. Here it is. The Bible speaks with many voices. Not just one voice, the Bible speaks with many voices. I'll illustrate for you. When the Hebrew children came back from being held in bondage in Babylon, they came back and there's one group, the Ezra-Nehemiah group. They're rebuilding the temple. They are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but they're also building metaphorical walls as well. And Ezra and Nehemiah say in that context, divorce your foreign wives. We messed up once before. We want to be so pure and so holy, we're going to get rid of all outside influences. So there's one voice. At the very same time, you read the prophet Jonah. And in Jonah, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go back to Babylon where you've been held in captive, captivity. And I want you to preach the good news there and save those people. So you have this tension right next to each other in the Old Testament. Build walls. Go get as many people as you can. Which is right? Which is the one? See, I hear people say to me sometimes, the Bible says... What does it say? The Bible speaks with many voices. You'd think it'd get easier when we come to the New Testament, especially around these uh, topics of sexuality. I'm sorry it doesn't. Paul is probably writing before the gospel writers. Paul in 1 Corinthians, 7th chapter, and by the way, he's expecting Jesus to come back at almost any time now. So he says, if you're married, stay married. If you're not married, don't get married. He said, if you are a believer and you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever wants to initiate divorce, then you allow divorce. Okay, there's an out. You'd think it'd get easier with the voices with the Gospels, that they all speak with the same language, but they don't. The Gospel of Luke, when it talks about this passage, says there's no out. You do not divorce at all. Matthew and Mark say, yes, you have an out. If there, is been, if there has been unfaithfulness or unchastity, then you're given an out here. Y'all have been very attentive, and stay with me just one more moment here to set in context what Jesus was trying to say, some other voices that were going on at that time in Matthew's gospel. In Hebrew thought, there were two schools when it came to divorce. One school was called Shammai. They were the more conservative school, and they said you could get a divorce, but only on the grounds of unchastity or unfaithfulness in marriage. There was another school, Hillel, that said, by the way, this is for males. Males hold, hold all the power here. I'm sorry, but that's the way it was. Males were the ones that could initiate divorce. Hillel's school said you could divorce your wife if she burned your supper. <laughs> I, am, I am not making this up. So, really, thank you for laughing because I have another little funny story in the midst of this very hard topic. 
So when I was a pastor in San Saba, about 105 miles northwest of here, county seat town, the director of our, our choir in church was a guy named Ken. He was also the band director for that 2A school. So Ken says, in, in my house, we're very religious. He said, every night, my wife prepares a burnt offering. So, <laughs> and, and I think their marriage survived that. But uh, I, I don't mean to be uh, uh, crass about this subject. I know I'm, I'm walking on really sensitive ground here. Two of my younger siblings were divorced and, and remarried. And I know that there's lots of reasons nowadays for divorce besides unchastity. There's abuse and all kinds of cruelty, and it's sometimes the most loving thing for divorce to happen. So again, I'm not making light of this at all. Um, The best comment I ever heard from a pastoral counselor was this. He said, for most of us, when it comes to marriage, it takes us two or three times in order to get it right. Wait for it. He said, hopefully with the same person. He said, but not always. And, and I think that's, that is true. Jesus in Matthew's gospel is coming across as the new Moses. You've heard it said, he, he has all these laws, all of these other voices, and he's speaking with authority here. But I say to you, he doesn't talk just about divorce. He talked about lust there. Did you get those lines? Pretty rough stuff, huh? Do you remember President Carter? Some of us are old enough to remember President Carter and how he said that he had lusted in his heart. Who hasn't broken this? I mean, who hasn't done that? And and it's hyperbole when it talks about taking out your eye or cutting off your hand. That's that's not the intent. I think the intent Jesus is trying to say in all of this area of human sexuality is that it's holy. It's not taken lightly. It's not taken casually that people are not objects. We don't use them. We don't possess them with our lust or or in our extramarital affairs or anything. Jesus is actually trying to protect females here because, again, males had all the power, and he said females needed at least some certificate of divorce, some way that gave them freedom and protection to remarry here. I teach about human sexuality. I have since 1980. And I I love teaching with children and youth because I didn't get it growing up. And when it comes to this area of human sexuality, I I say that it's, it's more than just body parts, okay? So with children and youth, I sing the song, The Hokey Pokey. (laughs) Because the end of the song, how does it go? You put your whole self in. That's what Jesus is trying to say here, that human sexuality is not just about body, it's about our minds, our spirits, our faith, our relationships, our memories. It's it's all of that, and it's all holy. So I'm kind of bridging here from just these two topics about lust and divorce to the wider subject of human sexuality, because there's a lot of voices around this right now. <laughs> am I, can I get an amen here? I mean, I mean Texas legislature is meeting right now, and there's something like a bathroom bill for, you know, what gender are you? What was on your birth certificate? How do you identify now? I, I, so there's all kinds of voices on talk shows, on the radio, on uh, TV. There's uh, 
politicians and pundits and preachers and just all these voices trying to tell us what to do in this area. If it wasn't hard enough, there's Valentine's Day coming up on Tuesday, right? <laughs> I walked into HEB yesterday to do my shopping and I was assaulted by chocolate. Yeah? And roses and red colors and balloons and everything. And you know, what am I to believe about human sexuality, about the nature of love here? Um, so all, all these voices. So what would Jesus say today? What would Jesus say today? I, I have some help for you. It's good Methodist theology. It's the way we've been talking and listening for a few hundred years. John Wesley was an Anglican priest who started a reform movement within that church that got beyond his control. It became a new denomination that is now the United Methodist Church today. So he had sort of a four-way test when it came to listening for what Jesus would say. Let's see it on the screen here. So the first is Scripture. Those many voices of Scripture, this is the thing. We are to read the whole Bible, not just the parts we like. And we are to read in community because these other people will hold us accountable because we all tend to go to the Bible with our blinders on. There are parts of the Bible I really like. There are parts of the Bible I wish weren't in there. Guess which are the parts I need to deal with? The parts I don't like. That's why I do disciple Bible study. That's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we come to worship, is to hear these many voices all around us. I don't expect you to agree with me about everything because you have your own interpretation, your own reading of the Bible. Guess what? I, I think that's why those editors and those church councils from long ago left all those many voices in the Bible it's because they knew we would be this kind of faith community that would need to hear all of those different opinions because when you're dealing with the mystery of God, you're going to have to deal with all these voices. No one voice is going to capture the awesome presence of the living God. Still, still with me? So we read the whole Bible. We read it in the whole of community. We read not just the parts we like. The second thing is tradition. There are other voices from the past, other people have dealt with similar issues. We can learn from them. We need to take their counsel to heart. The third is experience. This is sort of the heart part, the feeling part. It's also the Holy Spirit part. Jesus said, I won't leave you desolate. I will send to you another counselor. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. I believe that, that God is still speaking to us through the Holy Spirit today. And we need to do that in community so that we don't just go with our own feelings. And reason, I love this part, it should make sense. <laughs> it should hang together. It should have some integrity. It should be able to be communicated to others. And, and that's, that's the way we Methodists listen for what Jesus is saying today. What I'm trying to tell you is this. We need each other in community to listen for what Jesus is saying today. And I don't expect you to have all one unified voice, even in this congregation, even in one small group like a Bible study. It is okay because of the mystery of God. Now, this next part came to me just this past week because of a book I've been reading 
I've been reading a lot about leadership. So this is a great book, Leadership on the Line. And in the opening chapter, there was something that blew me away, and it helped explain why it's so difficult for me to talk about this subject even today, even though I've been talking since 1980 about human sexuality. In the book, these authors say that the biggest hurdle to change is loss. Loss. Here's the way it feels to me. I grew up in the panhandle of Texas, in Littlefield, Texas, with a family that never talked about sexuality. So when I do, I feel like I'm betraying them. (laughs) I'm being disloyal to my little town and to my family that I grew up in. That's the loss that I encounter. That's why I clench up when I come here on Sunday morning with a topic like this, because I'm having to deal with those voices in my head. So... I'm looking at you, and here's, here's my parents looking at me. <laughs> right? How dare you get up in front of church and say those things, Lynn? <laughs> and, I, and my little town, you know, I could, I could see my teachers and coaches and everything, and it's the loss that I'm experiencing as I'm going through these changes right now. The United Methodist Church is struggling with human sexuality. We have a a movement called the Reconciling Ministries Network that is really pushing for full inclusion of all kinds of people. And there's a counterbalance to that, uh, a Wesleyan Covenant group. And and I don't know how it's going to be resolved, but those are some voices that are happening right now in this denomination, maybe in this congregation too. I'm having to deal with loss. You may have to also. So, I want to share with you what I think Jesus is saying today. Out of all these voices, love God, love your neighbor. It's that simple, it's that difficult. (laughs) Here's what I think Jesus is saying Hooray, Boy Scouts! Can we show that slide? You may have missed this in the news. It was two weeks ago that the Boy Scouts of America accepted, for the first time, transgendered youth. Two weeks ago. It was in 2015 that the Boy Scouts of America first accepted openly gay leaders in Boy Scouts. It was in 2013 that the Boy Scouts of America accepted openly gay boys to be a part of their movements. The Boy Scouts of America are not a liberal... (laughs) uh, You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Progressive. uh, They're pretty conservative, okay? I, I say, I hear Jesus speaking through them, you know, hooray. Um, y'all are all welcome here. Uh, there, there's another place where I hear Jesus speaking, and that's through uh, National Geographic. Uh, again, not a bastion of liberality uh, or progressiveness necessarily. They do good work. They do thorough research. One of the most current issues, a special issue, January 2017, Gender Revolution. Pick this up and reading it closely. As they were dealing with a bunch of nine-year-olds, this is not a sermon for just adults. 
They interviewed all of these nine-year-olds who were dealing with gender identity uh, all across the world. They had some really good counsel for parents. I'm going to read it to you. What parents can do. Your most important role as a parent is to offer understanding, respect, and support to your child. A non-judgmental approach will gain your child's trust and put you in a better position to help your child through difficult times. When your child discloses, discloses an identity to you, respond in an affirming, supportive way. Understand that gender identity and sexual orientation cannot be changed, but the way people identify their gender identity or sexual orientation may change over time as they discover more about themselves. Be on the lookout for signs of anxiety, insecurity, depression, and low self-esteem. Stand up for your child when your child is mistreated. Do not minimize the social pressure or bullying your child may be facing. Make it clear that slurs or jokes based on gender identity or sexual orientation are not tolerated. Having a gender non-conforming child can be stressful for parents and caregivers as they deal with uncertainty and navigate schools, extended families, sibling relationships, and the world around them. And then they list several sources for help. I list just one of them up here on the screen, a website that you might want to go to if you have questions or if you need more support. So you know how I like to end sermons. I always like to end. And the good news today, the good news for us is this. So here it is. Out of the many voices, Jesus is still speaking today. Amen.